This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. It's time for a chat with Jack Spillane. Jack, a longtime reporter and columnist for the New Bedford Standard Times. He now is a columnist for the online newspaper, New Bedford Light. You can read Jack's work at newbedfordlight.org. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Jim. You broke a, your paper broke a story this week about a police officer with a long list of sexual harassment complaints. Fill us in. Yes, so Sergeant Samuel Ortega has had complaints going back to the 1990s, and another one as recently as this year. Uh, he has worked as a supervisor of the school resource officers and other jobs. Um, uh, the New Bedford Light attempted to obtain his personnel record and was denied. We appealed that to the state, and we won. And um, those uh, personnel files reveal um, uh, multiple women in a variety of jobs complaining about him. The city has investigated and found some of the complaints sustained. Others, they were not able to uh, judge one way or another. Uh, But it does um, seem to uh, uh, betoken a a concern about a guy having so many complaints. Um, He was ordered to take, his punishment evidently was to take sexual harassment and sensitivity training, which these days is required for everyone who goes to work in the New Bedford Police Department. Um, so it's an unfortunate situation, um, uh, but uh, uh, one that uh, had come to our attention. And where does this go from here? I mean, uh, are they still looking? Are they still investigating? Uh, let me ask you first, have most of the complaints been with women who uh, come from women who work within the department? Yes, yes. Either women who work within the department or women in the schools where he where he was working um, wow. with. Um, uh, these are not uh, members of the public, as far as I could see in the story. Um, uh, I think uh, the concern is that the number of the complaints, although all of them were not sustained, and, um, uh, you know, in this day and age, that, that kind of, Stuff is just not going to be tolerated, nor should it be. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's odd that there's been no further action against uh, this officer. Um, are you uh, obviously the paper's going to continue to pursue it? Yes, I I I, I think that um, it has been a concern that you know it was difficult to get the records, and we got them, and because. Uh, members of the police force do deal with the public, um, and th- this person was in a position of some authority, uh, so you expect better. Um, uh, and it it just uh, needs to be taken seriously. And it and it ev- ev- at least two of the cases that I read about, the complaints were sustained. Okay. Now, do you know what his job is now? Is he still working with SROs? I do not. I, I do not believe he's the working with SROs anymore. Okay. Um, you hit on another issue uh, recently: uh, funding for school buildings in New Bedford. Um, apparently, communities are being awarded funding, and that's that's okay, except that this, uh, they're being awarded funding to replace schools that are, you know, that are far newer than schools in New Bedford. We've got some applications in the hopper and. Apparently, they're being not being looked at or um, so, so being stepped over. So this was a story that caught my attention. Um, a few weeks ago, the Boston Globe had done a story about the Massachusetts School Building Authority 
awarding more building contracts to white school districts than uh, districts of color. So I had known that New Bedford had a number of 100-year-old schools, one of which was denied uh, funding last year, and uh, the light had reported on that. And I knew from my own observations of what schools are getting built that you know, schools in Plymouth South, Westport, uh, uh, Fall River, uh, that are only 50 years old were being replaced while New Bedford had, had nine schools, um, seven of them elementary schools that are 100 years old or more that have not been replaced. Now, two of those schools are set to be replaced in the South End, but two more that were going to be combined in the North End were denied. What's evidently happening is that in the urban centers, oftentimes the communities are reluctant to go forward as quickly as the suburbs are. They do not apply as often. When they do apply, they are subject to either the city council or the voters um, uh, denying a Proposition 2.5 override if necessary. So the schools are not being built. New Bedford got around some of this by using something called the Accelerated Repair Program to repair some of its 50-year-old schools and was planning to do that even with some of the 100-year-old schools. But now the MSBA last year put the brakes on that program, and they're only doing building because uh, school building, even school major repairs, is expensive stuff. But what it was showing was that suburban schools are getting the 80% state reimbursement, and urban schools can't afford to do it, so they're getting fewer of them. Sure. I mean, that. what's the delegation doing about so I, I, I talked to, uh, uh, well, I got a statement from Representative Tony Cabral, and uh, also um, I heard uh, Senator Montigny on um, uh, this radio station, uh, mm-hmm. both saying that they have uh, bills to alter the um, uh, school funding formula to re-examine it, uh, to add more money. Uh, Senator Montigny was going to add $100 million into it. I don't think that'll be enough, but it's a start. Um, and so... I think that they really need to look at the way the MSBA is is funding because when you're getting 50-year-old schools replaced before 100-year-old schools and you're getting schools in suburbs replaced um, more often than ones in urban communities, it, it's a problem. Is New Bedford doing a too good a job in repairing those older schools, keeping them going? Uh, you know, some of the older schools, they look, Pretty good. It's funny because some of the 100-year-old buildings were actually built better than some of the 50-year-old buildings. The problem with them is that they are not often wired for, like, contemporary computers. Uh, In the Pacheco School, where Interim Superintendent O'Leary brought us, um, the the auditorium had been subdivided into class preparation cubicles, so they no longer had access to their auditorium. Uh, The windows are all those uh, plastic opaque windows that they put in about 30 years ago that don't let much sunlight in. Mm-hmm. So they have various problems. And um, uh, I think Superintendent O'Leary has been a, um, a building guy. That's been one of his specialties. Mm-hmm. So he's on top of this. And uh, he was very helpful to me in, in finding out what's going on. You recently wrote about uh, some plans by the city of New Bedford to improve Dias Field in New Bedford's North End. That's the field off Mount Pleasant Street near um, Presidential Heights, yes. uh, Presidential Heights Development. Uh, you've done a little more digging now and learned some history about Dyer's Field. So, so this, Share is, it with us. this is a New Bedford story. So originally I became interested in it 
during the Ward 3 special election because some of the um, residents complained that they did not have a great uh, park in Ward 3 and various sections of it that, that they could walk to easily. At that time, I learned that the Greater New Bedford Youth Baseball League had closed down two years ago uh, through lack of attendance. It has always been kind of the poor cousin of the New Bedford Little Leagues in recent years. And they, the city had decided to uh, build a, a, the first full-length regulation soccer field there. But the rest of the park is also in decline. And so I had uh, received some letters to the editor saying, well, how did it get to be named Dias Field anyway? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll do a little bit digging into that. And I, I found, much to my surprise, that it had the same kind of naming history that a lot of places in New Bedford has. It's had multiple names. Uh, so Dias Field was renamed in 1972 from a field named after Robert Lawler. Robert Lawler was the grandfather of former Mayor Brian Lawler and the father of former Mayor Francis Lawler. Uh, Mayor Francis Lawler took an interest in the 1950s in the field when they were looking to get a second diamond built uh, for Little League, which is coming of age in New Bedford, Pony Leagues, Little yeah. Leagues, whatever you want to call them. And so they built that. They named it Lawler Field. It had previously been called Mount Pleasant Field, which is in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of the city. And um, so it was just sort of a, 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 a lesson to me how things... And I, I found out Don't that even, here in New even the baseball diamonds uh, were named for multiple people and got renamed as as those people, sad to say, have been dead longer. And, yeah, and yeah. faded more, from memory. More recently, people were... <laughs> but the city, by the way, has passed a, um, a law since then. I think it was after the controversy over the naming of... the re, the possible renaming of the Normanda Middle School, yeah. that unless your name has fallen into disrepute, um, then the building can't be renamed. Although they do get around it. For instance, when the Hannigan School was torn down... They rebuilt it, but it was an entirely built new building, so they named it the Jacobs School. <laughs> All right. Um, you're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest, Jack Spillane of the New Bedford Light. So uh, you're having a chat uh, with Ian Abreu soon. And, uh, of course, the question is, when is Ian going to run for mayor? Because I think if you watch the political scene around here, it's just, uh, you know, we expect him to run. Uh, however, he does seem pretty well wrapped up in his coffee syrup business at this time. So I don't know if he has time right now to think about it. But uh, you know how these things happen. They seem to pop up and you've got to make decisions. Um, but, uh, you know, I know you're going to talk with him. What's your thoughts about his political so a little tricky here because as we're recording this interview, I have not yet interviewed Ian, but when it airs, I will have interviewed him. Yeah. So um, Ian is a very interesting guy. I think it's fair to say that he is um, one of the most gregarious, uh, affable members of the current city council, and he takes fundraising seriously. He has almost $80,000 on hand, which is far more than you would need to run uh, for re-election as an at-large councilor. Sure. Um, he talks openly about um, his possible interest in state rep race or, or um, even mayor. Uh, I think a lot of p pieces have to fall into place for that to happen, but that will be one of the areas I concentrate on. And, and, and also, um, he's been an interesting guy. He, he's taken kind of a moderate um, stance in the city council. Um, he's been the city council president. Um, he has some thoughts on that. I think it'll, it'll be an interesting interview. Oh, was an interesting interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Looks like we're going to put that question on when you come back. Um, but um, so that raises the next question, really, which is what is Mayor Mitchell's future? Uh, what have you heard? Anything at all? I, uh, you know, we've often heard some things that Mitchell might do this or might do that, but he's still the mayor. He hasn't left, hasn't taken any, as far as we know, we don't know if he's gotten any job opportunities, many offers. We don't know. But uh, we thought he might join the, one time, rumors about him joining uh, the Biden administration. That didn't work out. Then there was the Healy administration. That didn't work out. Uh, what do you hear? John Mitchell has been mayor of New Bedford for 12 years. That's, a, but That's longer than anybody but Charles Ashley. Right. And, and even Ashley did not serve those 12 years plus consecutively. Um, uh, he's, he's a popular mayor. He keeps getting reelected. I, I expect um, that he probably will run because, what, we're in mid-June now, and the deadline is mid-August. If he were not going to run, Jeepers you would think that he would have let people know so that serious candidates who need to raise money would have announced by now. Right. So it once, appears... Once you let people know, then everybody knows because that's how it is in New Bedford. Yeah. And other so, places do. So at the very least, he's seriously thinking of running again because by not announcing, he's keeping out somebody who might challenge him at you know from raising a lot of money. I mean, I'm trying to think of who has the money. Uh, former Mayor Scott Lang could... Uh, Representative Tony Cabral certainly has plenty of money. Senator Mondigny has money. You wouldn't think he would run for it. He, I think he's described it as a step down. Um, uh, Ian Abu uh, has the money. I don't think. Maybe Linda Morat has the yeah. money. Yeah. Uh, Brian Gomes doesn't really have a lot of money, but he doesn't really need to have a lot of money. He's well known. So, you know, we'll see. Um, uh, from what I can see, that it looks in all likelihood like uh, Mayor Mitchell will run for re-election. City Council, uh, they have again rejected a plan that could save the city of New Bedford uh, some significant money on health insurance. Um, so some might look at that situation and say, gee, the council is playing up to the unions rather than doing the right thing. Is that your feeling on this? So I have a column coming out um, yep. tomorrow on this, uh, Monday. And um, I think I'll reserve some of the fire of what I have to say about that on that. But I, I will say this. The council um, two weeks ago, uh, it's the third time the mayor has proposed that the city opt into a state law that would allow an arbitrator to come in to resolve the differences when the administration and the unions can't agree on a um, health care plan. And in, in rejecting that, the council voted... Nine to two, and even the two that voted against it, which were Linda Morad and Scott Lima, I believe, said that they thought that it should not be adopted. And the the reasoning is that it's not necessary. We already have a, a way of um, uh, negotiating health care costs, which is the Public Employee Committee. But the mayor says that the costs are escalating faster than the Public Employee Committee concessions um, on health insurance have have. Um, kept up with. So uh, I, I think it was disappointing, let me say this, that the council wouldn't even hear the, the administration's proposal and why they thought moving to the state plan was necessary. What they said was, yeah, he's done it before. We rejected it then. We're rejecting it now. Uh, 
That seems like a lack of curiosity on my part to at least know the facts. Sure. Okay, one more thing. We're celebrating the second anniversary of New Bedford Light. It's a milestone of sorts. Some question whether an online newspaper could work in a market like this. It's worked. They're surviving. It's quite a story. I, I, I think it's uh, an amazing story, and I'm humbled to be part of it. It's the first nonprofit I've ever worked for in my many years as a journalist. Um, as we know, across the country, uh, print newspapers have been struggling. The business model, which, which used to have all the advertising, just doesn't work that way anymore with the Internet. So the New Bedford Light, um, some uh, uh, serious people in the region have uh, banded together, raised a lot of money, and we've done this paper. Uh, we've grown a little bit. We've got four or five reporters now. We only had a couple when we started out. Um, we're hoping to stick around. Uh, uh, we, um, I think we have set a standard of quality journalism in those two years, and we hope to be able to do even more as we grow. But... I will say, go on our website, newbedfordlight.org, and give us a donation if you like what we're doing. If you don't, don't. But um, I think that's the future of, of local journalism is in these nonprofit um, online publications. Well, of course, this we'll be watching closely. It's a, it's a wonderful product now. Uh, whenever I visit it, there's always something new and interesting to read and to learn about. Jack, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, my guest has been Jack Spillane, columnist for New Bedford Light. You can read Jack's work and lots more at newbedfordlight.org. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment.